Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. This is episode number 118 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. This week we're talking about the mid-season premiere of Stargate Universe Season 2. The episode is called Deliverance and it aired last week on Sci-Fi Channel. Huge, huge episode in terms of visual effects, in terms Mm -hmm. of action, explosions, lots of uh, nice character moments, I thought. Uh, But before we get into the episode, David updates how are you doing this week i am well getting ready for the first stargate auction on march the 19th or the second stargate auction i the should say one, where yeah. we're in spitting distance of the auction yeah it's uh it's coming up pretty dang fast so i'm gonna be pretty busy this week planning uh for that that uh news story is now on GateWorld that i had talked about so if you want to learn about the auction go and look for the furling head and uh Good. Uh, you can go and check out some of the lots that are available. Uh, something that I didn't put into the news story is the catalog that's available for purchase now for $45. That includes shipping if you're in uh, the U.S. or Canada. I'm very proud of it. It's it's a better book than the first one is, and I was very proud of the first book. Have, have you received it yet? I did. I just got it. What do you think? I think the outside is gorgeous, and I haven't cracked it open yet. <gasps> Blasphemer! I know. You haven't looked at it? it? My foreword um, is in there. You're mentioned. What? Really? Open it! Yes, open it. All right, I'm going to open it. Well, it's shrink-wrapped, and it's hardcover, and it's beautiful. And I came home when, like, we were sitting down to eat with the kids. So I, like, opened up my package and oohed and awed over it, and the the kids just loved seeing it, seeing what Daddy got in the mail. And then I had to set it aside. (laughs) Well, do me a favor and and open it in the next little bit here, so... Thank yeah. you very much for that. It's it's quite beautiful. Thank you. And I do recommend, you know, guys, if you are like me and don't have a lot of spare cash to go and get one of these props, you know, David has reminded us that some of these lots do go for as little as $50 uh, if you're willing to spend $50 to get a little piece of Stargate history. But if you're not, this book itself really is a, a piece of Stargate history, I think, and a, and a collector's It has a little item. of everything in it. Getting. So the both both the set. I mean, if you if you buy them together, I think you I think you get ten dollars off one of them. So mm-hmm. I mean, this is so this the, is a great the first auction it. book is, is right. still being exactly. sold exactly. Well. They're being sold as a, as a set now. If you so desire, you can get uh, you can get ten dollars off the first catalog, and the second catalog is cheaper anyway because it's a smaller book. It's um, not as many lots. Mm-hmm. So, but it's got the big stuff in it, SGC sign and all that stuff. So I'm really proud of it, and uh, awesome. hopefully the. Saturday auction will go well. What about you? How are things going? Things are going well. I'm uh, working on my dissertation and getting some some words done, planning to go to a conference. Where's the Stargate conference? Stargate-wise, the conference is in York, England. York? And sci-fi-wise, I mean, there's tons of shows that I'm trying to keep up with. I was going to ask you if, in like the three hours a week of downtime that you have, if you have been able to watch anything. I am backed up on V... Right now, that's really the only sci-fi show that I'm following. I'm also following a couple of other shows. I've been rewatching TNG with religious abandon, really? um, and I'm looking forward to then going on and watching DS9 through for the second time. Uh, mm. I haven't seen it in years uh, altogether, so I, I watched right. it once over a summer. I 
am really beginning to get interested in this 17th Precinct. Um, yeah, Ron cons- Moore's new series. Right, considering all the uh, information that's coming out about uh, about the cast. And now that they've added Kristen, is it Kruk or Kruk? How do you pronounce it? I'm not sure. Kristen from uh, uh, Lana Lang from Smallville. Yeah, from Smallville. Now that she's been added... That's that's going to be Jamie a, Bamber, yeah, James Jamie Bamber, Callis, Trisha, Trisha. Helper, Battlestar. Exactly. So yeah. that's definitely a, a good excuse to at least tune in and watch the pilot. Well, it's a stellar cast, and they're they're on a pilot right now. They have not been picked up for series yet, mm-hmm. but with this sort of pedigree, you know, you really sort of hope that it's going to go to series. I can't imagine. Well, I certainly can't imagine. I mean, virtuality. Yeah. I was very impressed with virtual virtuality. Watched that yeah. on Hulu and then got to the end of it and went up and read about it and found out that it had already canceled. Yeah. And, and man. What, they decided what a, not to do it. Exactly. You know, in fact, there's a lot of shows that are being uh, canceled or not renewed. Um, I'm following a couple of new genre series this season. No Ordinary Family I've actually really enjoyed. Uh, really? It looks like there's no chance it's coming back. Oh, um, gosh. The event uh, just just had its mid season premiere, which I haven't haven't caught up with yet. Uh, I've enjoyed that series so far, and it looks like there's no chance that it's getting renewed. Mm. Its, it's return ratings were terrible. You know the um, the number of shows that I must watch that were canceled mm-hmm. that you enjoyed continue to pile up. Dollhouse, <laughs> um, Defying Gravity. You know, I mean, this season alone, this year is going to present like three or four. This by season the alone, of it. yeah. And uh, here in the UK, I'm watching Outcasts on BBC One, huh. uh, which is that show that, that I've been waiting for for a, over a year. Jamie Bamber was in it. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, a, it's an eight-part series, eight episodes, and again, not doing great. Oh, uh, it looks like there's probably not going to be another season of it. I uh, really want to see the U.S. version of Being Human. I uh, was at a party uh, last uh, weekend, and Sam Witwer was there. And he and I talked for half an hour. Nice guy. Really nice guy. And I actually had the guts to tell him, you know what? I've DVR'd your show, but I haven't actually watched it yet. And he said, well, thank you for DVRing it. Oh, gosh. Oh, man. You and 40% of the rest of the audience, I guess. Oh, gosh. I guess so. Yeah, that is one that I want to watch. I'm a a fan of the UK version, which we're watching through. We, We went back to... To start from the beginning, because I've seen it just sort of scattered, you know, two or three episodes mm. per per year, and it's really good. And then when I went and looked at the U.S. version, it, it looks like maybe they're actually remaking it, like in some cases, storyline for storyline and shot for shot. He, he had a lot to say about that. Yeah, where you know they wanted to it. I I, I compared it to um, the old Battlestar and the new Battlestar. Where they mm. they preserved Ron Moore preserved a lot of the elements from the original and cut what he wanted to change, but I mean mm. certain story beats did come into play, like bringing Pegasus back and you know little things like that. Or and he's he said that that's that's a fairly apt analogy going from the the U.S. version to the U.K. version. And the, and there's also a, a little bit of that is also choices beca- choices in terms of. You know, there's a different audience that's watching it with different, slightly different sensibilities. You know, I mean, obviously yeah, the jokes are going to be tweaked a little different. I, I think I'm going to finish watching the UK series at least through the current third third season uh, before I go and watch the US version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I don't know if it's if they're just basically doing the same stories with a different cast. 
the UK cast is so great. Um, I don't know. I'd have a I'd have a hard time getting into it if that's what they're doing. Well, according to him, I think you can. Based on what he told me, you can watch both shows and be fulfilled. So they're yeah. not they're not interested in basically replicating it. So. Should we talk about SGU? Let's get back into it. We have a new episode to sink our teeth into. The main discussion. Deliverance is episode 211 of Stargate Universe, and it's the first of the final 10 of the season uh, and of the show. Again, this was a big, big episode. We're used to these sort of uh, you know, action-packed for the mid-season uh, mm-hmm. premiere and the mid-season finale and the mm-hmm. season premiere. And the season finale, um, they they spend a lot of a lot of money on these, and yep. this was a, a feast for the eyes. So the first hero of Deliverance has got to be Mark Savella and the visual effects team. Yeah, these guys uh, once again have proven that they can they can pull out all the stops and make some fantastic visuals. Some of the shots of the shuttle are just beautiful. They have really refined their craft as this show has gone along. Did Peter DeLuise direct this episode? He did. Okay. Yeah. It's good to continue to have him back. Uh, the directing. This is a very eclectic episode in terms of, it, it has everything in it. it. It spends a lot of time with character beats, and then it still has a lot of explosions. Yeah. Um, it's an the, interesting balance. And we a, should also talk about it in the context of, of the whole two-parter now, because we were a bit critical of part one. Right. Um, and I want to sort of talk about how they hang together. Yeah, yeah, they hang. I mean, they're they're. Um, I think they're reasonably different. I mean, the the first one focuses a lot more on the Ursini, and you don't see them at all in this episode. You see the sea ship, I think, in just one shot. And then every other time, you don't see it at all, and then it blows up. <laughs> that's that's a that's another issue. And uh, the blue aliens return. So there's uh, there's there's a lot of threads floating around in this episode. To my surprise, not as many um, solid, tight conclusions as I as I expected. It leaves a lot open. It leaves it leaves a lot left to be desired. I mean, it's almost like the end of Empire Strikes Back. Like anticipation, yeah. what's going to happen next? A lot of big hanging questions. Um, things like Chloe seems to have been healed, but mm-hmm. you're just not sure. And Rush seems to be sort of you know being nice to everybody, uh, which is something to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's this, you know, the final shot of the episode is a close-up on his face, and you're like, you know, is he playing us? Is he playing Chloe? Or is he, like, authentically becoming a nicer person now? Mm-hmm. The, the last shot, I mean, I don't know if it's supposed to leave you with the question, but it certainly did me, was, uh, were the equations accurate, or was he just Yeah, saying that I thought about that. Was he, just, was he just saying that? And if they were not accurate, why would he say that they were? So, well, back to the beginning of the episode, we have the big space battle when we last left our heroes. Destiny is under t- under attack by the drones, and I didn't realize it, but there are apparently a couple of different kinds of drones, uh, which I noticed different sizes on the visual effects. They're not just different sizes, but the bigger ones are are almost shaped like uh, Destiny's shuttle. They're like elongated with wings, uh, hmm. and then the little ones are like the roundy ones that we got. And brought mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that surprised me about this episode is that there were different sizes of drones. You know, they they weren't all standard. Uh, I didn't expect that. And when they decided that, you know, they could take one into the ship, 
um, and bring it aboard. I was like, really? They're not all they're not all standard design. And I was thinking, you mm-hmm. know, what what are the odds of that? You know, of of these drones being multiple sizes. And then you know, you I guess that whatever civilization that built them wanted various drones to be able to i mean wanted them to have some flexibility if there were if there were tighter spaces that these craft needed to go into they would need to have smaller drones so i think it works yeah maybe the bigger ones have a little bit more firepower and the smaller ones are a little bit harder to hit mm-hmm. hi guys this is john from san jose first thing i wanted to hit on was chloe and well most people i think have been referring to her as a sort of really obvious trojan force and i just think that that's you know sort of assuming that the blue aliens wanted her to be released back to the destiny in the first place. Remember, the colonel managed to infiltrate their ship, break Rush out, who then killed one of the aliens, got Chloe, and then escaped back to destiny. I don't think that was quite their plan. And I think maybe, uh, well, one theory could be that they discovered that human biology was uh, more manipulatable than their own. And perhaps they wanted to turn Chloe into some sort of computer. He was her for the basic things that uh, Will Rush has been using her for, uh, which uh, brings me on to Rush. Now, uh, people have often been referring to him as some sort of this, you know, Machiavellian evil character, and I think to get a good look at a character, you have to look at them from their own perspective. And I think that a lot of the time, Rush is actually more honest than people give him credit for. I think when he was talking to Chloe about her father's death, I think that was at one of one of the times when he was being the most most truthful and also when he was lying to himself. I think he did feel a great deal of guilt about what happened to her father, and I think that he does hold a high value for human life. But I also think that he sees himself as having a very great deal of responsibility for the people on the ship and also for uh, his own goals as well for getting the uh, ship to its own destiny. Chloe, we figure out right away what she was doing. She has sent a message. She has somehow divined, discovered, what have you, that mm-hmm. the aliens are still following them, which was news to me. I don't, I don't think that was revealed before that they were for sure still following us, but they had lost no, exactly fact- where we were. We didn't know uh, necessarily that they have the capability of traveling in between galaxies. Mm-hmm. So she sends out the command, and I think it's, when you put the two episodes together, I think it's less than a minute before they're right there. The three ships that were following yeah. us are back again. Yeah, They're close by. They're apparently in the galaxy, uh, somewhere around this corridor that Destiny has been going down, which we're now off of, mm-hmm. uh, remember. And she, yeah, she sends up a flare, and they're there. Mm-hmm. And then off screen, fairly quickly, uh, two of the ships get reduced to rubble. We don't see that. And then they're kind of forgotten about for about 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. There's no mention of them at all. Yeah, we're damaged, they're damaged. Um, but before that, of course, we blow up the command ship. You want to talk yep. about that at all? Well, we, we bring we out the primary the weapons guns. and uh, blew it away. So that that distraction definitely worked in our favor. That was clever, bringing bringing them in as a distraction. That was uh, that uh, that definitely, you know, it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it was worked. clever. It was uh, you know on the part of Chloe and on the part of the writers to sort of uh, the only way that we can get through this huge swarm 
is to peel off, you know, 50% of them, go and attack an, another target. Mm -hmm. uh, and that combined with Eli's little idea of uh, disrupting their communications with the command ship for a couple of seconds mm -hmm. was enough for us to get within weapons range. How specifically did we do that? Did they do that? Did they just flood subspace with, with uh, a signal? I suppose they could have. I mean, it was. It, they talked about it in terms of jamming the signal, um, mm -hmm. but in such a way that that they knew that the drones would have been able to adapt within a few seconds. Mm -hmm. so. Probably change a frequency or something. Yeah, something like that. Interesting. Well, it gave us the time that we needed to to blow it up, so it worked. Yeah, and we blew the hell out of it. We did. <laughs> it a was few gone. Shots, and that was it. And then yep. all, all the drones go back to sleep. Yep. So then the idea we have uh, destiny is crippled we don't have fdl capabilities uh, the one surviving blue alien ship is crippled apparently doesn't have fdl capabilities and the idea is to go and grab one of these drones eli comes up with the, the idea that you know the only way we're going to use this to our favor to our advantage because now we know that there's another command ship on the way it's on the Ursini, way the ursini set up a flare of their own is to go and grab one of these and study it mm -hmm. we've also discovered that they're the last of their kind or most likely, presumably. Most likely, yeah. Are, are, now, are the Ursini just sort of a bunch of Nimrods? For you know, they contacted their homeworld and and basically found out that just like they were having problems with these these drones, their homeworld was too, and has basically, mm -hmm. as far as they know, been wiped out. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, it, it certainly informs their change of direction, literally and figuratively later on in the episode when they decide to meet their maker, when they find out that there's nothing left of their civilizations. Like, what's the point anymore? So that there is a little bit of conscience yeah, to they them. They have give a home themselves to go, up. to go back to. They give Destiny the fighting chance that it, that it needs to, to survive a little bit longer. But before that, yeah, this, this clever idea of going out and getting one of the, um, the smaller units and somehow reverse programming it so that it will basically act as a new mothership, a new, a new control ship, a new dispenser of, uh, of commands. Y use uh, the ships that are already there dormant to, uh, to turn on their, their fellows who decide to show up. It sounds like Eli had essentially discovered their friend or foe system. And from what I gathered, he figured out, you know, sort of the ID code that they use you know, for, for the red team mm -hmm. and gave destiny that number mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. turned them all back on that, which again that, is, is pretty brilliant. I think I did see it coming when we have all these, you know, really fast weapons just sort of lying dormant without a command ship in the area. Um, you need to use them to your advantage. Back into, back yeah. into play at some point. Exactly. And the, and the only issue really behind that is, I mean, which is more of a quibble is, um, you know, the, our our confidence in being able to connect with these alien, completely alien devices, and and getting their readouts on our computer screens and inputting data into them just by just by connecting little alligator clips to them. I mean, <laughs> it, it's a little. It, that's where it, the it, the illusion kind of breaks down. You know, I mean, yeah, there true. there are no USB ports clear encounter. at the other end of the universe. <laughs> Yeah, the interface. I mean, it's nice that there are a few beats with, you know, Eli and Volker and Brody sort mm -hmm. of working on it. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, the interface. I mean, I can't even get my installation of Windows up and running. 
<laughs> They're just really brilliant, man. You know, as as far as you can go, it, I, I, I applaud them for going as far as they can and making the show as realistic as possible. But at some point, you can't help but acknowledge that it is it is fictional, and um, yeah. You know, Alien the, technology. There's, there's got to be some suspension of disbelief. Yeah, yeah. It's just going back to the whole thing where when Rush and Young were on the other ship, and Rush was plugging in his, uh, his equations into the computer, and the ship jumps and then uh, to life, and then stops again and starts drifting away. You know, at some point, there's just only so much that you can buy, and you have to take the rest of it on faith. When that second command ship jumped into the area, wasn't uh, that a cool shot? It was a beautiful shot, and, all, and then all the drones start flaring Like locusts, just, just, yeah. just coming right off of it. That's I want to see if I'm the only the one who thought this. When it first came in, the silhouette and the coloring of the ship was sort of the reddish and, and gray coloring. I thought that it was an Ursini capital ship. Really? Because it's kind of shaped similar. Hmm. And then, you know, it sort of turns into camera and gets closer, and you realize... Right, that it's not the same. It's got sort of some smooth edges right. to it that the Ursini ship didn't have. But I wonder if maybe there's a subtle little hint there that there's uh, some, some sort kind of, of common backstory between the Ursini and the the weapon that destroyed them. Well, as far as we know, they're both based in the same galaxy. So, if if there is like a, a root design, it wouldn't be all that surprising. So while yeah. we're out looking for uh, a drone, once we get it inside our uh, our uh, ship. The blue alien vessel, which we have been made to kind of forget about that it's even out there because the, the crew isn't discussing it, the crew of the shuttle, goes nose to nose with our ship. We uh, aren't allowed to back off unless yeah. we come up with a deal to present to them. And I guess the only the, – the, here was my issue with it. They mm-hmm. accept that we're going to return to them with Chloe. No. We, we basically say to them, okay, if you, if you let us go, if you let this shuttle go, we'll come back with Chloe. Completely on faith. You know, we, we swear, scout's honor, we'll bring Chloe, we'll, we'll bring true, one of yeah. our officers back and hand her over to you. Yeah, they did trust us. I wasn't made to believe that, you know, their weapons systems were more functional than ours were at the time. Um, mm-hmm. We just kind of were like, and I, think, and I think Rush has the point, you know. Let's go ahead and do it. We've exhausted all medical avenues. How much worse can it get? Well, we're going to give them potentially all knowledge that she has accumulated within the last year. Yeah, um, and the, the aliens may have known what condition Chloe would have been in at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they did this to her deliberately or if she had gotten away in the middle of some process that they have now been allowed to finish. Mm-hmm. They may have known that she would have been in this state and that there was nothing we could do about it medically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know. Well, I think Telford trust- says, you know, the chances are that they, this was their plan from the beginning. So there's this procession of Chloe leaving the ship, slowed down the, 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 the video, and Scott takes her over there and yeah. uh, enters the ship. Yeah, and this is really the first time that those ships have really um, seemed, seemed uh, I guess, as massive as they really are. Mm-hmm. We see them so often sort of in the distance, just mm-hmm. jumping into the area. And we see just the fronts of them, too. There's only a couple of shots where we've been able to see their, their side profile. Mm-hmm. I was hoping to see more of that because they're really an impressive design, and you just, don't see, you just don't get to see that enough. Yeah, but, I mean, this big front 
you know, the circle that sort of yeah. opens up and lets the shuttle in. It's like a giant mouth. Yeah. It's just really intimidating design. Mm-hmm. They go inside and land, and the aliens wait for them to finish saying I love you, and then the aliens, right after that, open the door. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, while, they're, while they're embracing. You the know, we, we, call them, the we call them fish, or fish people, or blue aliens. They're more and more bird-like to me all the time. Really? The, the way that their heads move. Yeah, that quick little side head. Yeah, yeah. I am, I am continually impressed with them. The, the, shot totally of, the shot of them looking right into her. While she's mm-hmm. on that uh, on that uh, diagnostic bed, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, still very as impressive. much as the the space battles and the explosions are awesome, and and you know the new ships, the command ship, and all that, that, that's I think you know we've seen the blue aliens before several times, but that's just a beautiful mm-hmm. shot mm-hmm. of those two characters. There's got to be something going on with that species that hasn't been revealed yet. Uh, if there isn't, I'll be severely disappointed. There's some there's something going on there. There's something, in, um, and I really, you know, we speculated a bit, I think, in the last podcast that, that they might be, even though they're kind of jerks and, and obviously hostile, pointing their guns at us and telling us, you know, no escape and surrender. And uh, fighting with us when one of them gets plugged into another's, uh, to, into Young's body, goes after Greer, just snaps. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I still suspect that maybe they're, they're not just out and out hostile. They're not, you know, out for destiny because it's powerful, it's advanced technology or whatever. But they're really a species that we could potentially ally ourselves mm-hmm. with. This uh, goodbye scene, though, between Matt and Chloe, it goes on a bit. And yeah. I expected to be kind of annoyed by it. And I actually thought it was pretty pleasant. And I guess it's because of, of Cloverdale, you know, all yeah. props to that episode. I mean, it wasn't a throwaway throwaway. But um, it sort of stands out as, as a bit different from the rest of the season and the arc. But Cloverdale, when we, when we talked about that episode, I said that this is sort of the first time that I actually care about Matt and Chloe's relationship. Hmm. Uh, the first time that it really sort of started to feel authentic to me. And because of Cloverdale, I think that this, this goodbye scene, I, I, it just felt more authentic. It felt more, more uh, like the sorts of things that they should be doing and should be saying to each other. And, you know, I think that's interesting because during that scene, uh, when I was watching it for the first time, I was checking my phone. I was not engaged in it. The score is also quite, quite beautiful there. It is. It is. But it, I, I just wasn't, I wasn't invested in whether or not she was going to come back. Quite frankly, at this point, someone, in my opinion, someone really needs to go and they haven't done it in a while. I mean, I mean, Riley was, was, was the casualty there. Um, mm. earlier in this season, but I just wasn't particularly compelled. I, f- I found myself really distracted and, and wanting, it to, wanting it to move on. Yeah, I, ha- I have to say, I have to say. Well, they say their goodbyes, and then the aliens open up her back door for us. And, and they take her. They take her. She goes, I mean, she walks, you know, she's pretty brave at this point, and I think it's because she's... She's out she's of options. To, she's had to sit with this, you know, sit locked in her room for months. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a chance that, that it can end, wouldn't you (laughs) take it? Yeah. Even if it's potentially a bad end, they take her and they probe her. Yeah. They stick that big thing into her and give her a shot in her neck. Yeah. I I'm thinking what happened was that they, um, they put some, some kind of a probe in her at the, at the beginning there to, collect all of whatever was inside of her and then you see that they get the suction ready f- to pull it out 
Yeah, I don't know, but I really think that um, I'm starting to think at this point that they didn't let her go in uh, in space last season, but that she legitimately escaped in the middle of something. Mm-hmm. And now, now, so are you thinking whatever they were doing, they've finished it? Yeah, now they've been allowed to finish it, and they've sent her back. Not necessarily because they're they're benevolent, but because you know maybe she could be the Trojan horse now and mm-hmm. and do their dirty work but mm-hmm. do it, it more covertly, you know, not as somebody who's having blackouts and having your skin change. Well, we'll see, won't we? Yeah, and I think the observation is sort of made by the characters that, that uh, you know, if she starts changing again, we're going to notice. But maybe we won't because they've done it right this time. Yeah, that's what I think. And we know that she has the ability still to do the calculations, assuming that Rush was not lying to her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's retained some of that, and and so maybe there's other things that she's retained as well. Hmm. You know, she's pretty creepy at the beginning of this episode, because I think what becomes clear when she explains to Matt and to Greer, with all the soldiers pointing guns at her, when she explains what she's done in sending up the flare because it's our only chance and mm-hmm. they're going to be a distraction and et cetera, et cetera. She's pretty clear that she's thought this through, and yeah. she, Chloe has made the decision decision to do this. Not yeah. that her alien programming took over in the interest of preserving her and destiny. She, Chloe, she little silver spoon Chloe, yeah. took out a trained soldier and broke his arm in two places. She, Chloe. Um, and went against Colonel Young and didn't tell anybody what she was doing and mm-hmm. went and did this and contacted these hostiles. Um, and she, she knew right. were in the galaxy and it she was hadn't revealed idea. that before. Yeah, and she says that they've been following us in this galaxy. They've been looking for us. She says that as if she had known it. So why didn't she tell us that? Don't you think, think that's kind of important information? I think, I think she's changing. I well, think I think changing that's... more than just physically. Everyone's saying that. You know, TJ's talking about that. Like, did you know that she was capable of taking out a trained officer? <laughs> you know, because that was going to be one of my issues. I was like, come on, you guys, you've got to address that. And they do, and they do, rightfully so. Yeah, that something's going on there. Yeah, but I think it's it really is a turning point in this transformation, and who knows after her her procedure in this episode if if her transformation is now over or not. But this was a turning point in her transformation because I think it really points out the fact that it's it's such a slow, gradual transformation into something else where she uh-huh. is not in control anymore, and it's not like. She wakes up one day and there's just a switch that's been flipped. It's uh-huh. so gradual that you know she doesn't even necessarily know, or we don't necessarily know. You know, am I still talking to Chloe? Or you're still talking to Chloe, but Chloe now suddenly sort of has other priorities. <laughs> what about bringing the drone over and plugging into it? The all the beats with 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 getting it. There was a lot of uh, a lot of similarities in my mind to. Um, the serpent's venom, uh, bringing the, oh yeah, uh, with the, the Tobin uh, mine, the the Tobin mine, bringing the Tobin mine aboard the aboard the the cargo ship and and getting it open and and trying not to touch the outside of it. Although they definitely touched the outside of this one, mm-hmm. uh, very very similar uh, situation, Re- reprogramming a device to serve a, to serve a, a purpose. The unit was very very impressive. Um, opening it up and you know that they did uh they they did spend some money on that device i suspect that it's going to be used again if we encounter these clusters i think they were called 
I think if they have more time to study it, then maybe they'll devise a way to use it on on other clusters. Yeah, I suppose um, we still have it, don't we? We do have it. It's still in the ship. So I suspect that we'll use it again in the future. Yeah, maybe. The whole thing had, had sort of a Locutus vibe for me. In terms of the solution to the impossible problem, there is no way that Destiny can stop this fleet of drones that's coming. There's no Turn way technology that, on itself. that Enterprise can stand up against a Borg cube. Um, but if we go into enemy territory and grab one and bring it back and hook it up with our alligator clips and figure <laughs> out how it works and figure out how to send commands through it, then we can sort of turn the enemy on itself. Yeah. It's, it's so that, without it's the that personal story. factor of Captain Picard being in there, uh, sort of a, a Locutus style of uh, solution. Mm-hmm. In effect. But it was a good I idea. I put them all to sleep. Yeah, yeah, I put them all to sleep. That's what it felt like. But it was. Um, I thought it was clever that they that they went with that route. The this this the 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 pieces on the board were set appropriately enough to to make that work. And then hyperspace jumping out of there and the ship only having five percent of its shields. Mm-hmm. Not sure if she's going to fly apart or not, and she makes it. Of course, she's got to make it. She's got to survive to episode two twelve. Oh yeah. <laughs> Don't they know that? Doesn't the cast know that? It's like reaching through the television, grabbing their throats, and saying. You will make it. Don't worry. Nine more episodes, at least. You do. Yeah, and those poor Ursini and their self-sacrifice. Well, it's about time. It was pretty sad. I mean, again, I was sad that we didn't actually see them at all. Yeah. Um, So they're sort of the ally that is uh, off stage, literally. And you don't even see them blow up. You see them blip out. I mean, how often are we going to get to see the destruction of a seed ship? Yeah. I felt cheated of that shot. We had plenty of space drones attacking Destiny shots. I wish they would have spared some budget and saved, pulled a couple of those out and instead devoted them to seeing that seed ship go up. Even if it's just an eight-second sequence. Exactly. Take eight seconds out of some of the other battle material. Yeah. Yeah, that that was disappointing. Um, it it was the same sort of trick that gets used in Small Victories, if you remember the season four premiere of SG One. Right. Thor With takes Sam over to yeah on the O'Neill uh, the ship to fight the replicators who are attacking the Asgard homeworld, and yeah. she comes up with this great plan, and we watch the whole thing unfold on Thor's view screen well at least you get a, a at least you get a representation of it representation and i guess ships. you did too with the with the bridge with the little blips but yeah, yeah same type of same type of deal you know the um the success of that is kind of a little bit anticlimactic even though with small victories you get the you get it's the muted. wave washing over the over thor's ship yeah i mean it's a cool little graphic with the the ship sort of vaporizing at the wave but then mm-hmm. it's just you know sam turns back to thor and says it worked mm-hmm. and we've seen this kind of thing before in stargate you know in uh, in adrift you know two officers who lose artificial who lose gravity trying to head back to the central spire of atlantis you see them blip out on the screen when they suffocate mm-hmm. so it's been done yeah i don't really want to see those guys choke to death though that's true but you know you, you do want to see a whole bunch of Ursini blow up inside of a I do. of a seed ship. <laughs> so we've got Chloe back, and, you know, we there's there's not really a resolution to, to this. Uh, that, that's one of the things that, that I went into the episode 
uh, it's amazing, you know, when you talk to people how how much they can influence, or at least with me, how much they can influence what uh, what you're going to view. My friend Jared says that the whole Chloe thing is completely resolved in this episode because hmm. I saw it a day late, and so I went into the episode thinking that this whole Chloe thing was going to be completely resolved. And in my opinion, it is not completely resolved. No, it's very um, ambiguous. And so I held that against the episode when I should have held it against Jared. So <laughs> Yeah. Don't listen um, to Jared. What does Jared know? Yeah, exactly. And the same thing, he also said that the Ursini were still out there somewhere. And I went back to him next day and I said, dude, the Ursini blew up. And he's like, no, they didn't. I'm like, yes, they did. He's like, no, they hyperspaced away. I'm like, no, they didn't. They, no, they, they blew didn't. Up. They blipped away. They were like, the little white dot. Oh. oh, so that's what happened. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. When the so white like, dot you stops tell me about blinking, anything. that exactly. means they're dead. Exactly. But yeah, yeah. That, did, that did color my impression of that episode because I was expecting certain things to happen and they didn't. So I can't yeah. hold it against them for that. It's all your fault, Jared. And Telford is back too. So we he is on board now. Still have Telford on board. Uh, he's not going back with the Ursini. They're gone. The seed ship is gone. So I guess the question is, how long is Lou Diamond Phillips exactly. going to be on the show? The, the question is, is there again? And I suspect that going something's going to go? happen to him next episode. Yeah, well, we've nope. we've sort of gotten him off the ship and then brought him back once. Mm-hmm. I don't see that happening again. I think if they if they have to write him off the show again, his He's number may die. be up before the end of the season. I'd be okay with that. I love the actor. I love seeing him. But um, yeah, you know, I'm all for overall story direction and yeah, tear jerking sequences. So. Well, the same thing with uh, with his role in aftermath and awakening earlier this mm-hmm. season, you know, if Lieutenant Scott is sort of going to be our go-to guy for leading off-world teams, yeah. um, you, know, you have to have Colonel somewhere be else. Because he's, he's kind of walking around the ship like a fifth wheel because everything is pretty much set without him. Mm-hmm. So Chloe's perhaps back to normal, perhaps not. The Ursini are perhaps out there, perhaps not. And the Blue Aliens are perhaps going to still interfere with us or perhaps not. It's a very unresolved episode, which for me, yeah. in the second half of a, of a two-parter, was too unresolved. I'll have a little bit more to say after Quibbles. Yeah. Hey, Darren and Dave. This is John from um, D.C. Just calling about the episode Deliverance. I thought it was a good episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, I felt that the Blue Aliens, they made a very quick appearance and... Uh, we're not even sure what the technology is, so it's hard to say whether or not they could have followed Destiny. But uh, I really wanted to talk about uh, Dr. Rush and his personality uh, this episode. It seemed like he was pretty upbeat, uh, only to be sarcastic. Yet at the end of the episode, he had a uh, pretty nice moment there with Chloe. And uh, I'm just not sure if we'll ever get uh, a beat on this guy, but... Uh, uh, yeah, that was definitely one of the moments that got my eye that uh, last night. Last thing before we get to Quibbles, do you think that Rush is a nice guy now? Is he, he talks to Chloe in terms of he's changed, he's learned a lot, he's sort of turning over a new leaf. He's nice to Volker and Brody in the science lab. Is he, is he being authentic at this point, do you think? I don't think so. And you won't be able to tell for sure, I don't think we'll be able to tell this year, until we understand... And and this is one of the maybe one of the top three big questions of the show. What is Nicholas Rush's true motivation? Mm. We don't know what it is. 
They have, they have well, deliberately hidden it from us. And until we do know what it is, we're not going to know whether he's sincere or not. Yeah. I think that he's always been about, you know, what is the usefulness of the people on the ship to me and my highest agenda. And I think maybe he switched from using vinegar to using honey to get mm-hmm. what he wants, to get them mm-hmm. to do what he wants. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he wants Chloe to be his ally. He has ever since he found out what she could do mm-hmm. at the beginning of this season. And now that she can still do it, especially, he wants her as an ally. But he's also facing the possibility of, okay, everybody on the ship now knows the secret about the mission. And he wants mm-hmm. he wants the ship to fulfill the mission. And I think, I mean, I hope he's been convinced by, you know, Franklin and Gloria that the ship needs a crew. He can't do this by himself. Mm-hmm. So he's got to start playing nice. And I think he's yep. playing nice now because he knows that's he what he's to doing with those in two order characters. to get what he wants. Yeah. That's what he's doing with, with uh, Volker and Brody. And, and Eli makes the comment that was almost nice. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll see where that goes. You know, I think you're absolutely right. He has figured out that he needs the, the crew to survive I th- to, to get the mission done and to accomplish whatever his objective is. I think, I think the only real gleam that we've had into his true motivation is his line about getting the power to change things mm. um, with this background radiation, which they have snuck into the, um, the opening bed of the episode now for the last back 10. You notice that? They're, they're, it, is, it is in between the, the transitions of the various clips for this uh, last 10 episodes of the, that they're going to use. So... I think uh, think the the question that we need to be asking ourselves is what does this man want to change? Mm. It's time for quibbles. So, what's your first quibble? My first quibble, and we covered this a little bit, but I just wanted to bring it up again. I really wanted to 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 be in everybody's heads. How did Chloe know the aliens had followed us to the galaxy? Mm-hmm. And if she knew, why was this not information she had offered before? Why did she not tell anybody? Yeah. It's a really great tactical risk, don't you think? Well, and my beef about that, which I may or may not have said already, was that she's, um, I mean, if she is consciously doing this and not sort of under the control of her programming, she's making a pretty serious command decision without all the information. Mm -hmm. She's been locked in a room looking out her window. Mm -hmm. So she knows we're in a battle. We're probably in a heap of trouble. Uh, but she doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, and she continues to push. It really is me. I'm still in control. Well, mm-hmm. if you are in control, why don't you offer this information? Yeah. You know? I mean, it's like looking at Boomer and saying, what is this ship? Like like, um, like in Pegasus. And Boomer knows for good and well that it's a resurrection ship, but she's not willing to say because, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yet she's still trying to earn Adama's trust, so... I, I kept thinking about that in, in mm. terms of revealing or not revealing this information. Mm. What uh, kind of quibbles do you have? Some of these reflect back on what we saw in Resurgence, the mid-season finale back in November. Remember, the field of drones that we're in when the episode starts, when Destiny mm-hmm. is under attack, this is the second collection of drones that we've got. Right, this is a whole new graveyard. This is, this is where the seed ship towed us. Uh, The first one that we found in Resurgence, uh, where we were under attack when the seed ship first showed up and we got away by slingshotting through the sun, as far as we know, there was no no command ship there. So I guess the question slash quibble is, how did all those drones reactivate without a command ship when in Deliverance here, I'm I'm sort of led to believe that it's the 
the presence of the command ship, or rather the destruction of the command ship, that makes them all go silent. That and, is a very interesting point. You know, we go and grab one and tinker with it, and, and nothing is going to yeah. cause this thing to wake up. Yeah. That, that's a pretty gaping hole. That first field that we see, there, we're left to believe that there is no command ship, and yet they are still able to wake up. And this second field, once we blow up the command ship, we just assume, and whatever reason correctly, that even though there's no command ship, these vessels will still stay asleep. Yeah. They're quiet, and they're apparently permanently quiet. That's very valid. Is any of the ship, is any of Destiny still inaccessible? I mean, Brody and Volker say that there are five shield emitter relays. Mm. Um, are they able to reach all of them without going EVA? Mm. Or are they only talking about shield emitter relays within the confines of where they've explored? Because, you know, the ship needs to stay in its pretty condition. One of my other quibbles was that um, th- there's a lot of talk uh, between Volker and Brody uh, explaining what they're doing with these wall units as, mm-hmm. I think, bypassing the shield emitter relay. Am I remembering that right? They used the word bypass a lot. I, I, think, the, I, I think those were the shield emitter relays, though. Yeah, I thought so those were the shield emitter them. relays. And so they talk about bypassing them. And, I mean, you can't bypass a, a shield emitter relay, I would think, and still be able to use the shield emitter. Unless so, there are more than these five shield emitters. And yeah. they're, they're just trying to bypass the ones that don't work. But some current is flowing through them because they turn yeah. them back on. Maybe there's like 30, and they're trying to back bypass yeah. the dead ones. But I'm not sure how bypassing a relay equals making it light up. That's a pretty minor point, though. Yeah. So is this one. But it's still... It's th- this one here. But it's still got me wondering. The uh, Kino sled. When is weight going to be too much weight? When is something <laughs> going to be too heavy? It can carry, carry a hell of a lot, can it? It can. I mean, the, f- how many? Five guys? Six guys? Yeah. I've picking up in. that that drone. Yeah, I wonder if the drone is heavier or lighter than all that ice that we carried on the sled mm-hmm. in water. I suspect that it's heavier. Okay, so we have this drone back in our lab, and we realize that in order to execute our plan, we're going to have to turn it on. Uh, so we get Greer and some of his boys in here to point weapons at it. That, that's a good idea. My mm-hmm. question is, if this is really going to be that big of a threat, if we're thinking it might start flying around and shooting its way out of the ship, why not maybe cover it with C4 or something like that before you turn it on? Or take it to the dome so that it can, it can easily escape. Mm. Yeah, I was, I was wondering about that myself. Because I think I, I, if, if they're wrong and it starts flying around and shooting, we're basically hosed. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that Greer shooting... Now, granted, he was like aiming it, I think, at the, the control panel that they had gotten to come Uh-huh, out. that they had opened. So, that was probably... And Rush, I think, points out, saying, you know, do you really think you're going to be able to do anything? And he says, I can try, can't yeah, I? Sure going to try. I don't know if, uh, if a, a shot to the control panel there is going to do the job. But I think it's one of those situations where they recognize that if this doesn't work, nothing's going to work. Uh, if yeah. this doesn't work, it's all over anyway. Yeah, and so, they're in battle, and, and they've got like three minutes to live. So exactly, and I think that it wouldn't have. Um, I don't. I don't think that it would have fired anyway because its um, its panels were open. I think it's fairly safe to say that it was in diagnostic mode. I buy that. We've used the shuttle to a, a great extent, and I think we're kind of getting to the point that, as far as uh, as far as battles are concerned, the shuttle can't be harmed the shuttle won't get damaged (laughs) the shuttle is a storytelling asset 
you know, I mean, even hearing, but when Scott has the line, sir, we're, we're full shields, you know, we're going to be okay, does not bode well for the strength of the story in which the shuttle participates in. The, the shuttle is, is becoming this kind of invincible object. And uh, we, we need to, we need to be. I think we need to be careful about that. I think I think they need to be careful about it because every battle that it's been in, it has wiped out. Be it blue alien drones or these drones, it has um, really been a force to be reckoned with. They need to. They really need to be careful about that. Yeah, I'm not sure if we've even seen a whole lot of people take shots at it. I think I remember one visual effect maybe of of you know the sh- the shuttle getting shot and the shields you know working. Mm-hmm. The energy dissipation over the mm-hmm. shield. Oh yeah, the uh, blue usually, aliens attacked her a lot. Yeah, it seems like uh, for the most part, people tend to leave it alone and just focus on destiny. Yeah. Atmospheric uh, entry into a planet, though, sure beats the hell out of it. But this yeah. is true. This is sort of a two-pronged quibble about the command ship that controls. Ooh, the two-pronged. First of all, it has no shields. I mean, this is apparently a technologically advanced weapon system. It's pretty dang defenseless, wasn't it? It's pretty defenseless. Compared to our primary weapon. Now, I can, I can sort of excuse this in, in terms of maybe it's not as technologically advanced as Destiny is. So, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody can come up with energy shields. Maybe it's, you know, it's unmanned, apparently. So the strategy is the command ship hangs back, way back as far as it can to stay out of range. Yeah. And throws, you know, hundreds of drones at the enemy... And, you know, 999 times out of 1,000, there's no way that the enemy is going to be able to survive that to get close enough to take a shot at the command ship. Um, so this probably works most of the time. It certainly works. Still, you think it'd be more heavily armed. Yeah. Maybe it's just the fact that Destiny is so advanced and has the sorts of shields that can withstand this attack um, for, for a long time. Maybe this weapon system has not run up against an opponent that's that's quite so powerful as Destiny. But the other prong on this critique is, you know, the last time we faced one of these command ships at the beginning of this episode, we used Eli's little trick of making all the, the drones go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, sleep data. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and that got us through just enough. Uh, that we could get within weapons range and take out the command ship. Why didn't we do it why, again? Why didn't we do it again? There's a, there's mm-hmm. a little bit of dialogue as to, in a battle scenario, a couple seconds are not going to matter. Well, in a battle scenario, in a battle situation, a couple seconds exactly matter. Uh, they can, yeah. It worked before, and I don't see why we don't try it again. Yeah. You know, it's all about getting in range of that damn ship. And if you can get in range, then you and win. Fire off the primary weapon, you win. Because they all shut down. My last quibble... I think the directing is getting in the way a little bit. Really? There were... Uh, you're not supposed to be aware of the directing of an episode. You're not, sp- you're not supposed to be able to go while you're watching, ooh, good directing, because you're pulled out of the story. Okay. The J.J. Um, the Abrams lens flares, the signature Star Trek Eleven lens flares, mm-hmm. they're really pretty and all. They're, they're visually very stunning. They're, very they're getting pretty. in the way. Really? They're getting in the way. There was a lot uh, of them in this episode. There was a lot. The The bridge of the ship is full of them. The shuttle is full of them. Camera angles are cool and all, but they shouldn't distract you from the story. And that's what was happening. There's a scene between, for me, there's a, there's a scene between Telford and, and Young where Telford's head is right in a bright light. And the light is beaming across the horizontal 
axis of, mm. of that shot and obscuring Telford's face. And it goes on for several seconds in two or three different frames, two, two or three different shots, and it was just distracting me. Mm. My brain was saying, you know, ooh, they're, they're really cutting edge and, and cool looking. And then the other half of me is saying, I'm being pulled out of the story. <laughs> this, is, this is not doing its job. Having said that, I think that Universe is, is the best shot Stargate to, to date. I just think that they really need to be careful about, about when they make their, the, the behind-the-scenes folks make their presence known with, yeah. with stunning visuals and when they let the story tell itself. And I forget that they even exist. Well, this episode, you know, watching this in HD reminded me again that this is such a beautiful show. It's very uh, crisp even when we set aside the awesomeness of the computer-generated visual effects and, you know, you get into the Destiny corridors with the actors, the sort of... And the dry eyes, yeah. There's an interesting balance between sort of the coldness of the ship and the warmth of the colors. And the lights, Orange on the bridge and, you know, the red of Eli's shirt. It's... And, yeah, the the, the lighting on this show, just it needs to win an Emmy Award. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the lens flare effect, um, I noticed particularly in this episode on the little white lights on the helmets, mm-hmm. the, the EVA helmets, um, those look cool, but there's a lot of them and they go on for, for quite a while. Um, exactly. Those, those overhead lamps on the bridge have always bothered me since we found the bridge. It's, it feels they're so bright and they flare so much that it feels mm-hmm. like... You camera. start counting them. It's like and, the camera's pointed up a little too high, and those are like studio lamps that we're not yeah. supposed to be able to see. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, it's becoming the point where you can play a drinking game with it. Every time you see a lens flare on the screen, have a drink. Yeah. And that's not what it should be doing. Well, it's a, it's a very good creative choice, but, yeah, it's a, it's a balance of, of yep. how much is too much. Yep. We have a few more pieces of voicemail to listen to. Listener mail. This is Ellen from Canada, uh, also known as Inkblots on the forum, recording this for I don't know how many times because I keep getting interrupted. Uh, anyway, first off, just wanted to say I'm loving your podcast. It's making the walk across campus in the snow, which doesn't want to leave, a lot more enjoyable. Well, as enjoyable as it can be. Uh, anyway, wanted to give my opinion about the cancellation of SGU and sci-fi. Honestly, I really didn't get into SGU. I'm still watching it. I want to know how it ends, but I wasn't particularly broke enough to hear it was cancelled. It just never really grabbed me. I never had any kind of emotional investment in any of the characters. I liked Eli and Rush, but if they weren't in the scene, I just kind of started nodding off. I didn't really care about what anybody else had to say. But I tend to take things at face value and not dig too deep into them. And your insights on SG-1 Atlantis have given me a whole new perspective on a lot of things, so I'm hoping maybe I'll have a little bit more of an appreciation for SGU when I get to your podcast on it. Hi, this is uh, Chris from Coral Springs. Uh, I have a couple things to say, questions, ideas, if you will. Um, first one, on your um, general call-in question show, a couple people asked about, you know, TV models and how they no longer work, and I just kind of had an idea. Um, if some group wanted to go online with a new show, if you will, um, I thought maybe the best way to do it would be to go um, 
every five, ten minutes, come in with a 30-minute commercial. I personally would be okay if that meant that the show would get money and generate revenue and continue to be able to be made. I thought that would be an idea. Maybe they want to do that with uh, universes. Maybe if MGM is willing to finance maybe a 10-episode experiment with Universe on that so that they could finish up the series and see how much money that can generate, I think they might actually go for that. Although I know they just came out of bankruptcy and they may not want to take a chance. Um, but that's for that one. I, I think I know actually on that, Hulu does that where they have every six or eight minutes there's a commercial thrown in there. Um, on another note, I heard a lot of people say that, uh, Atlantis, they want an episode where, or something mentioned where Atlantis is going back to Pegasus. Oh, come on. Given what we know about the program and how much conflict there is between all the governments, do you really think that the governments of the world will allow something as big as Atlantis to leave Earth? No, every single one of them would be fighting over and falling over themselves to try to get access to Atlantis so they can learn about, you know, from the database in Atlantis. There's no way I think that any of the governments in the world would sign off on letting Atlantis go back to Pegasus. Not to mention, you know, signing off on everybody going back into the danger of being... So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to see if you guys can answer those questions or comment on the idea about how the new TV system might actually work. Um, if you have any ideas on your own stuff that you want to see happen. Hey, what's up? It's John from Tennessee. And like most Stargate fans, I've been dreaming of the future of the series even before we heard about the cancellation of Stargate Universe. And I've just had this idea floating around in my head uh, over the past few months about an idea that I would think would be epic for a new Stargate series. It basically ties all the three previous series together and, and closes up all the loose ends left by each subsequent series. And sort of with the Stargate program comes public and we get to see the evolution of humanity as they realize that there are aliens out there and all of the technology that has been discovered by all of the three expeditions gets to be uh, implemented by scientists and reverse engineered. And it would just be really cool to have this vast show that deals with humanity at large advancing to a higher species and technological advances and how society would change and how it wouldn't change, I would say the same. And I also think it would be really cool once we got to that point if they could introduce an entirely other enemy, maybe even from an, another universe, that all the different factions in the Stargate franchise could sort of unite against this common enemy um, a little bit like the Yuzong Vong, maybe, in the Star Wars franchise. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. But I just think that would be awesome. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it'll ever happen, and it's probably way too big to do on TV. It'd probably have to be a book series. But uh, anyway, just something I've been dreaming about. Thanks. Chris brings up this topic of other ways of distributing TV shows. The The conversation comes up every time one of our favorite 
sci-fi shows gets canceled is is this system just doesn't seem to be working and you know we're watching our tv online anyway so could we come up with some sort of an online tv model that has ads and chris says he'd be happy to watch ads uh, that way if if that's what it takes to get the system working mm-hmm. and i'm not sure how to respond to that other than then yeah i mean hulu's making progress there but it's sort of overhauling a system that's you know 70 years old yeah, and Hulu, I mean, doesn't share advertising dollars with the companies that 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 give them the shows. You know, Hulu is basically uh, the the place that shows go to get their show out to the public. Hulu makes all of its own money. You know, those advertising got dollars go to Hulu. And if you're putting something up on Hulu, you're basic. If you're a company that's putting a show up on Hulu, you are giving that show away, essentially. Mm-hmm. Just in the hopes of bringing in more value. viewers, just it's just for promotional purposes. Mm. Yeah, people don't seem to recognize that. Netflix is and a whole John, other story, though, like iTunes. Yeah, right. And then John suggests that maybe a fourth Stargate series could sort of combine these three because it feels like, like uh, maybe not so much SG One, but at least Atlantis and Universe are going to have uh, dangling threads that need to be put at me a fourth series can sort of tie them up over the course of a few years. So the Star program goes public and sort of all the cards are on the table. Mm-hmm. I think if we did move into a fourth show, it would be unrealistic if it was continued that the Stargate was not public. I mean, uh, to borrow from Brad Wright, how the hell is this thing still a secret? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to all of your mail, folks. We really appreciate it. Keep those letters coming in. Uh, we are always receptive to all sorts of different pieces of uh, mail, even if they contradict what we believe, especially if they contradict what uh, we believe, no. actually. It's the spice of no. life. Come on. Yes. The yes. Horror. <laughs> all right. Let's look at the podcast schedule. March 21st. March 21st, we have episode number 119, which is going to be... Uh, SGU 212, Twin Destinies. Uh, this is an episode I am particularly excited about. Um, really and- stoked about Twin Destinies. This airs, yes. uh, if we can get the podcast up on time, it airs tonight. Uh, yep. Monday, March 14th on Sci-Fi Channel. Yep. Then March 28th, expect our next show, episode 120, which is going to discuss which is going to discuss SGU's alliances. And then on April the 4th, it'll be podcast number 121, and we're going to discuss the SG1 episode, the SGU episode, Hope. So that's just looking ahead. There's an SGU episode every single week for the next little while, and we're just going to keep on treading through them. Fantastic. Expect uh, Diana Botsford to join us next week for Twin Destiny. She's all stoked, and we I are stoked, so, yeah. of course, to have her back. We hope we can get her. So thanks for tuning in to uh, episode 118 of the Gate World Podcast. Thanks again to the amazing Russell for continuing to uh, edit the show and turn it around so quickly. We really appreciate your feedback, so please feel free to give us a call on the Gate World Podcast hotline. It's area code 951-262-1647. You can leave a voicemail day or night. You can also email in a brief audio recording to Darren's address at webmaster at gateworld.net and uh, we always like to see your comments not in just uh, the audio format but in text as well in the Gateworld forum podcast 
feedback thread that's under the GateWorld Features section, I believe, near the, the top of the page. And as always, if uh, you want to uh, look back on this particular podcast, uh, follow up on any of the, the things that we discussed, links, for instance, like the uh, Stargate uh, the Stargate Live Auction coming up, those points are available in link format and bullet format in uh, the show notes section in the news story thread that accompanies the release of every single podcast episode. Yeah, and also remember, if you're getting the podcast from someplace like iTunes or another podcast catcher, and you're not going to GateWorld uh, on a regular basis, we've got full coverage running uh, all week long after new episodes of SGU air. Uh, you'll be able to find uh, a high-res photo gallery, a screen cap gallery from the episode, uh, a complete transcript, a summary. This podcast is part of our of our coverage of the episode, and that runs all week long, every week. From GateWorld, this is David. And this is Darren. And we'll be seeing you, hopefully, very soon for another installment of the GateWorld Podcast.